Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. As we open up the Word of God today, our focus will be on James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Let me read verse 22 of James 1, because verse 22 of James 1 is the, the whole book of James in one simple sentence. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And now I want to read the whole thing from verse 2 down, but I wanted to read verse 22 first because every verse that we read here, think about, how can I not merely hear, but actually do what this says? Start in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is what James is all about. How faith works in real life. James is about living faith. James is about the behavior of belief. James is about a belief that is not just out in the air somewhere, but a belief that determines a particular way of walking, a particular way of being. The distinctive value of the book of James is that he has this striking grasp on the integration of truth and life. 
There are some passages of Scripture that are really hard to understand. Anyone ever tried to study the book of Ezekiel or the book of Revelation? There are some scriptures that are very hard to understand because you have to know all sorts of like political historical background and symbology and numerology even and different symbols and everything, and they're very difficult to understand. There are other scriptures that are not hard to understand. In fact, they are as easy to understand as a smack across the face. That's the book of James. It is so direct. Be doers, not merely hearers. Really, that's what James cares about. Does it really work? Because let's face it, you can have a, a Bible and you can have life. You can have truth and you can have your way of walking. You can even have faith and your life. But it doesn't really work. Just like you could have a car, a good car that runs, and gas, good gas, and it doesn't really work. Let's say that you, didn't, you, you let the needle ride on E for a little too long and you completely ran out of gas, but in God's providence, you were, you were right there uh, in front of the quick trip when you ran out of gas. The car sputtered, but you had just enough juice left to roll next to the gas pump, and then it died. Now, you have a good car. You, you just bought that car this year. It runs great. And we all know that the gas at quick trip is like the best gas in the world. So you pay your money, you take the nozzle out, and you lean back, and you just spray that gas all over the car, on the top, inside the window, on the wheels. Perfect gas, perfect car. It's not gonna go anywhere. You, every single one of you has a perfect Bible, inerrant. Every single one of you also has an errant imperfect, but let's say semi-decent preacher of the Bible to you. And you have a church. Now, this church is not perfect. We have many annoying members, but we're a pretty good church, and we help each other, and we love each other. But it is so possible for you to have a perfect Bible, a good, decent pastor, a good, decent church, even some form of faith in your life, but for it not to go anywhere. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Simply hearing God's word is not enough. We wish, I, I, I think sometimes if we were honest, we wish, we wish, that God himself said, everything is going to be perfect if you just attend church for 60 minutes on Sunday. That would be easy. That would be easy. I also know some of you struggle to have a quiet time, but in the big scheme of things, having a quiet time for 15 minutes in the morning is not that hard. And I think sometimes we wish God would say, everything will be just right if you will just have a quiet time for 15 minutes in the morning. But God doesn't count it on church attendance or on quiet time checking the box. 
God says, is that faith operative in life? Verse 2, the next time you have a trial, you will prove to yourself and everyone around you if you actually trust God or if you don't. If the gas is going in the engine and you are going the way of faith, or if it's just being sprayed everywhere and you're going the way of panic and anxiety, the way that those who are godless go. And faith is connected to life most convictingly probably right there in verse 19 because he talks about our relationships. Isn't it interesting that when he diagnoses, is faith integrated in life so that it actually makes a difference in behavior? The place that James goes in verse 19 is our relationships. Do we listen to each other? How do we speak to each other? How do we grow angry with each other? I think we can all agree. We have seen more people refuse to listen to each other and grow angry at each other in the last four months than like ever. There's so many things to disagree about and be angry about. And James actually says, faith in God shows up right there in whether or not you are angered or slow to anger, whether you listen or whether you just holler like everybody else. Why does James talk about our relationships and our listening and our growing angry in verse 19? Because that's what proves if our faith is real. We may, we, we may wish, in fact, we probably do wish, that God himself said, this is what proves if your faith is real. How many copies of the Bible do you have in your house? That's so easy. Just buy another one. How many Christian apps do you have on your phone? They're free to download. Just get another one. Or like, if God said, this is how I know your faith is real. You walk down the aisle at a crusade. You repeated a certain pledge. But that's not the test. We wish that it was because those things are so doable. but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And verse 21 gives us two big commands. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Two big commands. One, rejection of sin. Two, reception of God's word. Those are the two big commands. Rejection of sin, reception of God's word. Get rid of all the sin and get in every line of every verse of God's word. A receptivity to God's word and an absolute rejection of wickedness and filthiness. He says, identify the sins that are in your life, identify the temptations and fight them or flee them, but get rid of them. Put them off. The word there in verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness is the word for putting off muddy, dirty, soiled clothes. Last Saturday, not yesterday, but the Saturday before, I did something that the beautiful, patient, wonderful person that I live with appreciates it when I do. I mowed the grass with the lawnmower. 
But last Saturday, in the process of cutting the grass, I did something that the beautiful, patient, wonderful person I live with finds extremely annoying. Halfway, it was hot. And halfway through mowing the grass, I had to go inside and get a drink. Water, water, but a drink. What's the mistake that I made? I didn't take off my mowing shoes. I have been trained. Take off the mowing shoes. Like, yes, boy, yes, boy. I've been trained. But I, sure enough, I didn't take off my mowing shoes. And there's a trail of grass clippings, mud, possible dog mess from the door to the kitchen sink and back out again. He says in verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and, or possibly even so that, you can receive the word of God. He says, put it all away. These two big actions, reject the wickedness and receive the word of God. Let's key in again on that first big action. Put away, look, what it's, look exactly what it says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Possibly the biggest word there is the littlest word. That word, A-L-L. Put away all filthiness. Here's the question. I hope you know the answer to this question. This is an important question for you to know the answer to. Here's the question. What is partial purity? What is partial purity? It's impurity. These, uh, these communion things that we have, I'm happy to tell you under the authority of the deacon board, these are almost all the way pure. Only two of them have been injected with COVID droplets. Only two. And we're, we're going to serve like probably six, 600 of them today. And, and only two of them, you know, so they're, they're almost, 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 almost pure. <laughs> Partial purity. We know that none of us is going to be Perfect. We all stumble in sin in many ways. James actually says that no one's perfect and everyone stumbles in what they say. We understand that in the Christian life, we're not going to reach perfection. But do we not understand with every beat of our heart that to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus means that my desire is to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. That's, that's not going to be the, 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 the destination that I reach in this life, but that is the direction that I'm headed. Put away all filthiness. Let me talk about, so this is, the, this is maybe one part where the word of God doesn't just pat you on the back, but the word of God like really I don't know, some kind of physical therapy where it really just gets into your muscles and really like a deep tissue thing. What it means to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness is this. I'm talking to you individually. There are many forms of wickedness that you are very happy to put away because you don't want to do them anyway. You think they're yucky and bad. This verse is not even about those for you. This verse is about the forms of wickedness that you have become more comfortable with. So maybe you are a very generous person. Maybe the most generous person in all of Racine Bible Church is, is right here in this room. 
And you, you, you are so generous that you rail against greed. You have no problem putting away greediness. But you're also super judgmental against people that aren't as generous as you. And the Bible says that judgmentalism, James says that that kind of judgmentalism is a sin. Maybe you are a teetotaler and you rail against the sin of drunkenness. You'd never, that would never happen for you. But you basically live and trade on slander and gossip. That's, what, that's like the substance of your conversations. Maybe you never use profanity, the sin of, of, of cursing and profane language. That's not going to come out of your mouth. But you are regularly and pretty much all the time uh, prejudiced and hateful toward poor people. And the Bible says that that's a sin. You got to find those sins that you've become comfortable living next to. Those are the ones that you need to put away. What I'm saying is that James 1.21, the word all, includes the sins that you feel comfortable condemning and the sins that you feel comfortable committing. This is why I said some scriptures are hard to understand and you got to like, like really study it and figure out this and that. James is as blunt as a smack across the face because James is saying here, the Holy Spirit is saying here, you need to put away the sins, not only the sins that you are happy to condemn, but the sins that this week you have been happy to commit. You need to commit to putting those away. All, all my sin, all the ways of my life. I read again this morning a verse that I memorized years ago and it just locked right back into my life. So today's July 26th. So this morning when I woke up, I, I prayed Psalm 26, Psalm 56, Psalm 86, Psalm 116, Psalm 146. And in Psalm 86, I found again that precious verse, Psalm 86, verse 11. Psalm 86, 11. It's, it's three lines. Teach me your way, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Three simple lines. In the first line, it says, Lord, you need to teach me so that I will walk, not in my own truth, not in my own path, but so that I will walk in your truth. And then the sum of it is, unite my heart to fear your name. That's how we get to that all. The Christian poet George Herbert put it beautifully. When he, he says to God in one of his poems that's a prayer, he says to God, for my heart's desire unto thine is bent. Lord, I aspire to a full consent. Not a word or look I affect to own, but by thy book, by thy book alone. All my heart, all of God's ways to fear only God. How do you get there? How do you get there? Well, verse 21 says, you put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and by or in order to and as you receive with meekness the implanted word. Do you receive the word with meekness? Question, what is meekness? Answer, don't go to Webster's. Don't go to like a dictionary. We, when we study the Bible, the way, to, the way to determine a term's meaning is to let the, the surrounding context determine the meaning, not some 
a foreign dictionary, but the, the author in context. So it's very clear what meekness means in verse 21 is the opposite of, verse 20, the anger of man, and verse 19, being, being quick to be angry. Being meek is to be slow to be angry. Meekness means when you open the book, when you listen to the sermon, you're, you're seriously receiving it and not in a self-justifying, angry way, defending yourself against it. And sometimes I wish that when, almost like when we open the Bible, like, like the Holy Spirit himself would just pop up a little, a little word bubble to us. Hey, buddy, this time, are you going to keep defending yourself or are you really going to listen? That's what this is saying. That's to receive it with meekness. To say, I'm not here to defend myself. I'm not here to declare, well, God, 18 things in my life are going okay, so give me a break on these two. That's not me anymore. I'm here in meek humility to receive all that God says. When you open the word of God, you're going to run into things that it, there are going to be sins in there that you're happy to condemn, but there are going to be other things in there that happen to be sins that you're comfortable to commit. And, and when that happens, don't run away from it. And don't think that, well, uh, that's a mistake. Everything's not the way that it's supposed to be yet. When you open up the Word of God and there's stuff in here that you, that you want to be defensive about, exactly what that means is he's finally getting through to the real you. This, this, is, this is a blessed feature, not a bug in the system. It means that the Word of God is challenging you. Because after all, if, if all that ever happened is you open the Bible and it just said what you already naturally wanted to believe about everything anyway, then, then your reading of the Bible is just a projection from your own mind. We, we need the Bible to correct us. And so when it does, we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to be angry. We need to really receive it. The, the easiest way to illustrate this is probably, I mean, any Bible teaching, but the easiest way is probably teaching on parenting or marriage. I do a lot of teaching on parenting and marriage, you know, in our Firm Foundations courses, sometimes from the pulpit. And I, of course, the teaching that I do on marriage could be a lot better than it is. I'm not saying that it's, that it's all that it should be, but I'll tell you one thing. When I teach on parenting and marriage, I stick to the book. I'm not giving psychological ideas from my own experience. I stick to the Bible. And not every time, but almost every time that I teach on marriage and I teach on parenting, a response I get back is, that's, that's really good teaching, but my situation is different. It's not going to work for me because my spouse or my kids or my this or my that. And I want to respond back. I don't want to fight about it, but I do want to have a direct conversation about it. And I want to respond back thusly. I agree with you that your situation is different because every individual person is different and every situation is unique. But will you not agree with me that the word of God is true 
yesterday and today and forever and for all the situations in North Korea and all the situations in South Korea and all the situations in the suburbs and all the situations in the inner city and everyone everywhere. It is, it's not like, where do we get off saying that our current condition is implacable and made of granite and the word of God has to conform to who we are? Perish the thought. It is the word of God that is unchanging for all time, and I better melt and mold myself in conformity to what God has said. That's what he's getting at here when he says receive it with meekness. How can this be done? How can this be done? Two simple steps that'll take us right to the communion table. Two simple steps. Confess sin in God's presence conquer sin in God's power. Confess sin in God's presence, which means we have to come beneath the cross of Jesus, his body and his blood. Confess sin in God's presence. And second, conquer sin in God's power. When we confess sin to Jesus, knowing that his blood has cleansed us from all sin, the very blood that we'll remember in the cup in a moment, when we confess sin to Jesus, we remember that not only did he die for our sin, but he rose again to give us his spirit so that the sin we confess in his presence can then become sin that we conquer in his spirit's power. And so we come again and again and again right back to the cross of Jesus Christ in which we glory and before which we bow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we would bow before your cross even now. And I ask that you would enable us to confess our sin and you would enable us to conquer our sin by that very same power by which you rose from the dead. Jesus, lead us and guide us now as we reflect and as we confess. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.